Welcome to the legacy teachings of Bill Anzavino, pastor of Christian Assembly Church since 1979. Though these teachings are decades old, we invite you to get out your Bible, take notes, and get ready to receive the uncompromised teaching of God's Word. For more information about Christian Assembly Church, please visit us online at cafamily.net. We are beginning a new lesson, a new series. Can you hear back there? A new series, a new lesson on the blood covenant. Now, this is something that I taught about three years ago. Haven't taught it since. But I understand that Brother Copeland just got done teaching it on TV. See, I don't have that privilege like you people do of getting up on Sunday morning at 7 o'clock and watching Brother Copeland. Amen? Because i got to come over here, see? And you can just sit there and feast, you know. Well, you're going to have a double feast. Is that all right? Praise God. But, of course, I'm sure there will be many different things that we bring out. So, Verse 46. And why call ye me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? Whosoever cometh to me and heareth my sayings and doeth them, I will show you to whom he is like. He is like a man which built his house, a house and dig deep and laid the foundation on a rock. And when the flood arose and the stream beat vehemently upon that house and could not shake it, could not, could not. How many of you have already underlined that in your Bible? Circle it. How many of you have not? You better do it if you haven't. Could not. What does it say? Could not. Amen? Could not be shaken. Why? Because it was founded upon a what? Founded upon a rock. Now, what is that rock? What is that rock? Well, first of all, let's notice something. I'll let you think about that for a while. Let us, let's notice something. Jesus likens spiritual growth unto a building that's being built. He likens it unto a tree. In John 15, I am the vine, you are the branch. And here he likens it unto a building. Building a structure. Building a house. A man building a house. And he says that the foundation is built on a what? On a rock. Now, I didn't have a chance to watch the program, but I did get a chance to read the Believer's Voice of Victory. And I read in, of course they were talking about love, but I read a little uh, report that they gave about the new headquarters building that Brother Copeland is building right now. He's involved in. And I remember vividly that he reported that the consultant engineering firm that was to go out and check out the site of the property where the foundation was to be laid, reported to him that it was the hardest formation that they ever encountered. And it was so hard that it broke the machinery and they had to change the drill bits. 
He said, Brother Copeland, it's, it's, it's not a coincidence that out of all this available property, you chose the hardest formation, the hardest, most perfect site in which to build your, you know, lay your foundation for your building of your headquarters building. It's not a coincidence. It had to be God. Well, now notice, he built it upon a what? <coughs> what could be harder than a rock to lay a foundation? Now, if you laid a foundation upon something that had a substance that was uh, like sand here, look at, look at verse 49. He that heareth and doeth not is like a man that without a foundation, he built his house upon the earth. Now, in Matthew, he talks about sand. Against which the stream did beat vehemently, and immediately it fell, and the ruin of that house was great. Now, if you laid a foundation and built that foundation on sand, of course, it's still going to give you problems. But here, I see there's a difference between the foundation and the substance upon which you lay that foundation. You see the difference? The rock. Rocky substance. A hard formation. Now, get out your shovels because we're going to dig a little bit deeper than we were. In our last lesson, we talked about, in Growing Up spiritually. we talked about the foundation. And we're going to continue that tonight. But here we want to bring out the substance upon which the foundation is built. This is that hard substance, that rocky substance. And some people say it's Christ is the rock of our salvation. Now, I know that. You know that. But that's very broad. <clears throat> if you're saying, well, what is that rocky substance? It's Christ. Well, that's broad, isn't it? <clears throat> you think about that. He stands for everything. Someone else has said, and I've heard somebody say, that that was... Revelation knowledge. How many of you ever heard that? Raise up your hand if you heard that. It was revelation knowledge. Well, I can agree with that, but that's vague. <clears throat> There's a lot of revelation knowledge, isn't there? But what revelation knowledge was he talking about? And then finally, I got satisfied when I saw that upon building a construction or constructing a building... Before any ground has been broken, we've not yet broken ground for our new building. Before anything starts to go up, it takes a contract between the company, the people, and they've got to come to a place of agreement in that contract as to what specifications that building is going to go up on. When they come into a place of agreement, and they're all set, then they'll break the ground. Everything that they want in that building should be in that contract. Right? And it's got to be specific. Well, Jesus said that a wise man builds his foundation upon a rock. That rock then has got to be the blood covenant. Write that down. The blood covenant is the rock upon which the structure would be built. The blood covenant. 
It's the contract. It's the bottom line. You can't get any deeper than that. It's the rock upon which the, the building is going to be built. The foundation will be laid upon the rock. That rock is the contract. The blood covenant. In the 89th Psalm, very quickly, let's turn there. 89th Psalm, verse 34, will give us an idea as to how the Father feels about covenants. As a matter of fact, it will tell us His attitude towards a covenant. My covenant will I not break, nor alter, it means change, the thing or the words, whatever, that thing, the words, which has ever, which has gone out of my lips. The Father says, concerning covenant, I will not change a word of my mouth, and I will not break my covenant. In other words, when that contract or that agreement was written, it had and contained within it everything that the Father desired and wanted. Everything that you would want or need is in the contract. Whatever is in there, He made sure He was in agreement with it. It contains the actual will of the Father. With that thought in mind, let's read the rest of it. Once I have sworn by my holiness that I will not lie unto David, his seed shall endure forever and his throne as the sun before me. It shall soon be established forever as the moon, as a faithful witness in heaven. Once it's established, it's forever. Once he has spoken it and swore by his holiness, that settles it. That's what he wanted. That's the way it is. That's the way it will be. Period. Then the psalmist said, stop and ponder and meditate and think about that. That's what the word selah means. Meditate that. So, think about this. The father was going to have a covenant relationship with the human race. And in that relationship, he would have a contract, not signed with an ink pen on the dotted line, but sealed by the blood of his son. If that contract needs to be changed, then it is not in line with the character of God. If the blood covenant has any flaws in it, then the Heavenly Father didn't know what He was doing when He wrote the covenant. Now, we had an architect, I mean to tell you, put together a plan for us that was, it would take you, if you start to read it right now, take you for about a month with a dictionary. And then you'd have to just, uh, you know, get somebody to help interpret it for you. It was detailed and specific. Well, do you think that the Father is smarter and more intelligent than our architect? 
Did you ever try to go back under the, under the old covenant and, and look at all the intricate de- details of the building of the temple and all the work that went into the, the robe and the, the high priest's clothing and every, every phase and aspect of it and, and think about it was all detailed by the Father God? He put all these things together. And then in the new covenant, the blood covenant, he seals it by his blood. And once he seals it by, by his blood, it carries a deeper meaning. Well, in its simplest form, let's give you a definition, first of all, of the word covenant. That way we'll show you then the deeper meaning of the word covenant. In its simplest form, the word covenant means an agreement between two parties. An agreement between two parties. In which all the assets, talents, liabilities, and debts are held mutually. Or mutually held. An agreement between two parties. In which all the assets, talents, debts, and liabilities are mutually held. Or we can say an agreement of unity containing certain carefully defined promises and pledges. Promises and pledges. An agreement of unity containing certain carefully defined promises and pledges. Now, I don't know about you. While I'm saying this, turn to Hebrews, the 8th chapter. But when I was in the secular field of work, I worked for the steel industry. And that gives me somewhat of an understanding uh, as to what a covenant agreement really is. In the steel industry, you have every three years a contract that is reviewed by the board of review. And all the union leaders will get together to put together another package or another plan, hopefully, of course, to obtain better promises and benefits and wages over the next period of three years. Well... Today, we hear a lot about concessions and not a whole lot about pay, you know, wages being upped and benefits being better. We hear more about concessions. Well, I don't know about you, but if you stop and think about this, in that covenant agreement that the company has with the employer, employees and employer, you know, the company, corporation heads, Once that agreement is signed and ratified, they've come into a place that everybody is in agreement with that agreement, that covenant, that contract, then every aspect and every phase of that covenant has got to take place over the period of years. Had the company not wanted to give it, and they may have done it by, you know, force or whatever, some go out on strike to get better benefits and that sort of thing. But they did it not nonetheless. To go back on that is illegal. Once it's been in effect to go back on that, it's illegal. It's wrong for them to do it. And they'll have to pay the consequences of it. Well, here we find out in the verse 6, But now hath he obtained a more excellent ministry, by how much also he is the mediator of a better covenant, Established upon better promises. Now, 
maybe my steelworkers agreement and contract and covenant, whatever you want to call it, could be negotiated every three years because in itself it does not contain the best I can actually receive out of that corporation. But instead of going for the whole thing all at once, which they'll never agree to, we go for a little at a time. And get a little bit here, a little bit there, then add a little bit more, add a little bit more. Well, this covenant is a better covenant established upon better promises, and there will never need, there'll never be a need to get together a board or a review committee to go over the contract in a hundred years, in a million years, in a billion years, because this covenant contains the better promises, blessings, and pledges, and there could not possibly be any improvements made on this covenant or on this contract. This contract is perfect. It offers three blessings, at least three blessings, that the old covenant or the old contract could not offer and could not be obtainable to the believer. Now, Ephesians 1, 3 tells us that we are blessed with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Doesn't it say that? How can you get better than every spiritual blessing? In other words, you don't have as a steel worker all that your company has to offer. Because by rights, it can offer you a lot more as a steel worker. And no matter what your profession is if they wanted to be fair and just. But as a child of God, as a partaker of the new blood covenant, you have got all that heaven has to offer you. Every bit of it. Three of those blessings, those better promises, are these. Number one, union with the Father. Number two, union with the Son. And number three, union with the Holy Ghost. You become one with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost in the new birth. That is a blessing of the new covenant. I don't know what more you can ask for. There isn't anything more a person could possibly desire. You know why? Because there's nothing more to offer. In this new covenant, friends, the Father offered Himself. Not His gold, not His silver, not His home. He offered Himself to the believer as part of the covenant agreement. He's going to give you Himself. I know about you, but if I was involved in this here, I just want to get this thing over with and just take a hold of it, wouldn't you? And accept this agreement. I mean, the Father is offering Himself to us. <clears throat> now, you think about that. That was not obtainable. So, we don't really need a review committee to go over the contract, this New Testament, this New Covenant. And if you read the rest of that chapter, you'll see it's talking about He took away the old to establish the new. What we need 
is teachers to be able to teach and instruct the people as to what the blessings and promises of the covenant are and teach them how to walk in the light of them. That's what we need today. Now, I couldn't possibly sit down. I remember when I was in the mill, I couldn't, you know, I didn't even care what was on that covenant. These guys walked around with little books, you know, the contract says this and the contract says that. I, to me, I didn't want to understand it. I didn't care. But if I felt I got cheated on my paycheck, or if I felt that I was, you know, treated unfairly, you know, I wasn't like that, but I mean, most people, a lot of people are. If they felt they had some, a legal right coming to them under that contract, well then, they went to the shop steward and they looked up, you know, the articles and found out exactly what the, what the contract said and they demanded their rights. For an example, I almost lost two fingers down the mill. This is when I first got saved. And uh, I didn't know that what had happened to... I probably could have had compensation for what the damage that was done to my fingers. Because I almost couldn't play my guitar. And it was only by God's grace that I was able to. I got him smashed with a bar. But praise God that the bar didn't smash him against a steel steps like this here, see? Just before it hit the steps, it hit my leg. Otherwise, if it hit something hard, it just chopped them right off. But it hit my leg, and my leg cushioned the fingers, and the fingers didn't get cut off. But they got smashed terribly. Matter of fact, when I took my glove off, I was wondering if they were really there. And I had my wedding band on, and the fingers swelled up so big that I couldn't get the wedding band off. And the wedding band was, was causing it to just, you know, hurt even worse because it, the pressure was just all at the tip of the fingers. Well, the one finger, two fingers got hit. And would you believe I had to go down to one of the nurses down at the... Don't ever go to the mill nurses. Oh, at least not this one, anyhow. I mean, uh, maybe you got a good one, but I... Oh. I go in there and I... What's the problem? Well, you see, yeah, that ring's got to come off, you know. That's my wedding band. That ring's got to come off. Well, how are you going to get it off? We've got to cut it off. Tell that to my wife. <laughs> Honey. <laughs> so, well, she says, I'll cut it off for you. Okay. You talk about pain. She got that cutter stuck underneath this ring. She didn't cut it. She twisted it. Almost ripped my finger off. It was already in pain. And she twisted that. And I said, if you don't mind, I'll do it. I know when it hurts. <laughs> I'll do it. So she gave, I knew she couldn't, didn't know how to use them snips. So she gave them to me and I snipped the thing off <clears throat> in three pieces. And uh, finally, you know, we got to, got to getting back into shape after a long, long time. But it was scarred and everything. And I could have been compensated, I'm sure, you know, for the damages that, w that were done. But I didn't know. And I didn't know my contract. I didn't know, you know, what I could do. And I just didn't matter to me anyhow. I just, you know, just prayed about it and said, thank, thank you, Lord. And, and went on. But now other guys, I'm sure they'd have been down there to collect something. 
see, and, and really part of my ignorance, if I didn't know whether I could or should or whatever, and, you know, I didn't really bother to ask anybody, I found out later that I probably could have collected, you know, quite a bit of some, some kind of compensation for what had happened. Well, that's just part of ignorance of not knowing what my covenant rights were with that, you know, corporation. So, I lost out. Well, it's the same thing in, in the, the covenant that we have with the Father. Many, many people are losing out on many of the blessings that are rightfully and legally theirs through the new blood covenant. And this covenant is not just a covenant agreement. This covenant is called a blood covenant. Now, that's important that we show you the difference between just a covenant and a blood covenant. See, a covenant is an agreement, but a blood agreement carries with it a stricter meaning. Now, let's look at Leviticus, the 17th chapter. <coughs> chapter 17. Find verse 14. <clears throat> and while you're doing that, I explain to you the Greek meaning of the word covenant is the Greek word diatheke, and it means an unequal covenant. Unequal in a sense that one side does all the giving and the other side does all the receiving. How many of you have received Christ to be your Savior? Wasn't it because God so loved the world that He gave, gave, one side does all the giving, the other side does all the receiving? How many of you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? Well, didn't, doesn't the Bible say that the Father will give the Holy Spirit to them that ask Him? Who did all the giving? The Father. Who does all the receiving? That's an unequal covenant. Aren't you glad that He does all the giving, we do all the receiving? Think about that. Okay, that's an unequal covenant. Now, the word that shows us the, it, that this covenant is in its strictest sense is the word blood. The blood covenant. Remember Jesus said, this is the New Testament in my blood. A blood covenant. Now, here in verse 14... For it is the life of all flesh. That's talking about blood. The blood of it is for the life thereof. Therefore I said unto the children of Israel, You shall eat the blood of no manner of flesh, for the life of all flesh is the blood thereof. So the life of the flesh is in the what? So blood then is... It shows to us that it's standing for life. So when we say we are in a blood covenant, then we are in a life covenant. Now, some corporations might back up their word with their money, with their properties. You might use your house as a form of collateral. You may uh, go into it. Well, if you entered in, how many of you ever in, entered into a covenant? Agreement with the bank to pay for the mortgage of a house. <coughs> Raise your hand if you did. How many of you have kept your side of the deal? 
if you didn't, then your house is up for sheriff's sale. Right? It might be 90% paid for, but nonetheless, if you stop making payments, you have a contract that you're to pay so much a month for the next 30 years, 25 years, not 10 years. If you stop your part of that, of that agreement, they have a legal right to come in and take your house away from you. Isn't that true? Okay. Well, now here, we don't have a house that's, you know, standing behind this agreement. We don't have money that's standing behind this agreement. We have life that's standing behind this agreement. Somebody's life. Well, whose life? Who is this covenant with? Is it just with man himself? Or is it between God and man? If it's between God and man through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, then who are the two covenant heads? The Father and the Son. Okay, if the Father and the Son are in covenant together, then the very fact that blood is part of that covenant, it's saying this, that the Father is backing up the covenant with His life. He must keep His part of the covenant or He dies. Jesus is man's representative of the covenant. He's our covenant head. He backs up the covenant with His blood. He's immortal. He cannot lie. He cannot die. So in order for Him to break the covenant, He must lie or die. He can't do either. God cannot lie nor die. Jesus cannot die nor lie. So the covenant then is intact and it's infallible. It cannot be broken. Whatever God says is. Whatever He said He'd do, He will do. God cannot and will not lie or else He would die. It's not signed, as I said, by the name, but it's sealed by the blood. If the Father didn't want to go into agreement, He would not have accepted the blood of Jesus. If Jesus didn't want to be our representative, He would not have shed His blood. <clears throat> but He shed His blood. The Father accepted the blood. Now we have a coming together in agreement, sealed by blood. The Father is obligated. He must save you. He's got to give the new birth to you. If you come truly from your heart believing to receive. Because Jesus, our representative, is at his right hand looking at him, saying, I died for him and shed my blood for him. You've accepted my blood. He is now coming into the covenant. The father must give birth to him or he lies to Jesus. He's got to do it. He can't break that covenant. All that will come, I will in no wise turn anyone away. Isn't that what he said? Now, it, someone says that's taking away from the sovereignty of God, but it's not. God is sovereign. But in his sovereignty, he said, I will make a covenant with my people. A covenant that cannot be broken. So the Father then, in His sovereignty, made a covenant that every word must 
be fulfilled. If he breaks the word, then he has broken the covenant and he lied. Then, of course, the consequence is death. But God can't do that. He's not going to lie or die, is he? And he's not willing to do that. He's not going to do that. He's got to fulfill the covenant. He's got to keep his word. Now, and write this down as a, as a golden nugget. <clears throat> I wrote this out as a golden nugget, and I believe it's good for us to really meditate on this. When the Father accepted the blood of Jesus, <coughs> when the Father accepted the blood of Jesus as a sacrifice for the human race, when the Father accepted the blood of Jesus as a sacrifice for the human race and entered into covenant with Him and entered into covenant with Him, He pledged to us His life. He pledged to us His life and every promise and benefit that is offered is backed up by his life. Every promise and benefit that's offered is backed up by his life. So when the Father accepted the blood of Jesus as a sacrifice for the human race and entered into covenant with him, that's with Jesus, <clears throat> he pledged to us his life. That is, the Father pledged to us his life and every promise and benefit offered in the covenant is backed up by his life. Now, that is probably the most unbelievable part of the covenant. That's part of the most unbelievable testimony in the New, in the New Testament. That the Father backed up everything in the New Covenant by his life. Meaning, if he doesn't fulfill it, he must die. Now, think about that. If God does not keep his word, then he has to die. If Jesus does not fulfill his word, he's got to die. Jesus did his part. Do you think the Father is going to renege on his part? The Father sent Jesus for the purpose of establishing a covenant with man. Now, do you think that the Father would do, send Jesus and Jesus actually do his part so that the Father could lie and not do his part? Beloved, this does not take away from the sovereignty of God, but this is the solid ground upon which we lay a foundation for our Christian lives, knowing that the Father would be guilty of death if He did not fulfill His word in my life. Now, that means if the Father said in His word, ask what you will, it shall be done unto you, but then says, well, no, that's not true on your part or on, in your life, then he should have taken that clause out of the covenant, out of the agreement, and got rid of it. If he didn't want to say that by his stripes you were healed, he should have take that taken that clause out of the agreement and removed it because he is absolutely responsible to fulfill it. So long as it's in that covenant agreement and it says it. Now, I can go on and on and give you all the benefits and blessings and the promises, but note that everyone who meets the conditions must receive the answer. It's not a question as to if God wants to. He has to. 
Again, someone says, you're taken away from the sovereignty of God. What if he don't want to? He has to, because in his sovereignty, he made the agreement. I didn't write the book. I didn't write that uh, contract for our building this new church. We've agreed together on what we wanted, and he wrote it all out for us. And if it was signed, accepted by the whole body, and if we had to put it, start a construction, then everything in that contract to specification had to be met. He, the, the, the company would have to meet it. Now, the father in his corporation is unlimited, but he has limited himself to us by his word. But, of course, his word is everything that he is, so really the word shows us that we have an unlimited God. The word puts us in contact with that unlimited God, and our agreement is unlimited. We've got every spiritual blessing. All that God is, he offers to us. All that he will ever be, he has given to us. Ephesians, the second chapter, verse 11 and 12. Now here, we are taught that the whole redemptive plan swings about two covenants. The Abrahamic covenant and the new covenant. Paul, in writing to the church at Ephesus, says that a man without a covenant is a man without God and without hope in the world. You, wherefore, verse 11, Wherefore remember that you, being in time past Gentiles in the flesh who are called uncircumcision by that which is called the circumcision in the flesh made by hands, that at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers, strangers from the what? Two covenants of promise. Strangers from it. Okay? And at that time... <clears throat> You had no hope and were without God in the world. A man without a covenant is a man without hope and a man without God in the world. So now we realize that the whole plan of redemption then swings about these two covenants. The Abrahamic covenant is found in the book of Genesis. You can look it up. The new covenant is found in Matthew 26, Hebrews 8, where Jesus said, this is the new covenant, New Testament in my blood. In my what? Not my money. In my what? Meaning my what? My life. My life. The Father accepted the blood, meaning that His life was in, in back of the covenant. Jesus gave His life. His life is infallible. He cannot die. The covenant is sealed. A man without a covenant is without hope in this world. Without God in this world. Does that mean that since I've come into this great blood covenant that all I've got is one little blessing? Brothers and sisters, it means that everything in that book that God said He would do, He'll do it for you. Not just because of you, but because of Jesus. He accepted that blood. There's not one word in, that, in this book, if you meet the conditions, that He can possibly withhold from you. He, by law, legally, spiritual law, has got to honor that word. I can't say it any clearer than that. He has to. That is not taking away from his sovereignty. God is a sovereign God who did this himself. He more or less limited himself to his word. He did it. He's the one that wrote the book. He's the one that wrote the covenant. He's the one that expressed his desire to have this covenant made. 
How many of you were there when it was sealed? Oh, I wish I was. Can you imagine standing before the throne of God when Jesus walked in with his blood? Oh, hallelujah. Can you imagine the rejoicing of the angels? Can you imagine, oh, the glory when the Father says, I accept your blood as a sacrifice. And from this day on, my life stands behind the covenant. And Jesus says, well, he's already given his life. Think about this. To break the covenant, you must lie. Jesus cannot lie. To break the covenant means you die. Jesus cannot die. Neither can the Father. This covenant is so awesome, but it's so important for us to realize what God's saying to us. My covenant will I not break nor alter the word out of my lips. If I do not fulfill one word of that scripture, I'll die. I'll give my life. Think about that. Let's go on and read some more. Verse 13. <coughs> but now in Christ Jesus, you who sometimes were far off are made nigh by the what? By the blood of Jesus. For he is our peace who hath made both one and broken down the middle wall of partition between us, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments and contained ordinances, for to make it himself of twain one new man, so making peace. So by the blood of Jesus, the middle wall of partition was broken down. We come into an agreement with him. We enter in by the way of the blood covenant, meaning that God gives himself. Himself, not his money, not his house, although that's included, but he gives himself to us. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost are ours. Why in the world would God want to enter into a covenant with a man? Why would the Father want to ever limit himself to be in a business uh, deal with a man? For the life of me, that doesn't make any sense. Why would somebody as omnipotent and omniscient as God, the creator of the universe, want to take somebody into his corporation and make him an equal heir in that corporation? This doesn't make any sense. He wanted to be selfish. He's got it all to himself. But think about this. If what I'm saying is true, and it's got to be, it's God's word, then when we understand what kind of clout we have in the throne of God and realize that what this covenant actually did for us made us one in all the things of God, then we're in business and being a true co-labor and representative of this covenant in this earth. Now, first of all, let's find out some reasons why covenants are made. And remember, blood covenant means that the life stands behind the agreement. If in this relationship, let's say between men, I were to go into covenant, let's say, with um, Brother Terry, and we're going to go into some, uh, you know, we're going to go into partnership, we're going to go into making pizzas. That's a good thought there, see. And <laughs> we're in the pizza business together. Well, if I break the covenant, I could lose my part of that business to him if he wanted to. 
if it was just a written agreement. But if I signed that in blood, as a blood covenant, it means that when I broke that covenant with my brother, my wife would see to it that I died. The covenant in blood is greater than even family ties. I will die. And my wife will be the one to see to it that I die. Because once we sealed it with blood, friends, it meant to break it is to lose my life. Now, are you seeing just how important this is to know it's a blood covenant? For the father to lie means his life is at stake. For Jesus to lie is the same thing. For that word then to not be profitable would be a lie. Now, I wouldn't want to lose my life over a pizza. Would you? I know I wouldn't. But you see, my wife would be the one to seek me out. If she knew where I was, she'd say, look, there he is right there, kill him. You think about that. My wife, my own family, they'd seek me out and see to it that I died because of what I did with my brother. Now, this ensures trust in a business partnership, wouldn't you say? Wouldn't you say? It ensures trust. More he can trust me now, can he? Well, how about love? Love is another reason why men go into covenant relationships. Jonathan and David loved each other that they made a covenant, didn't they? Well, marriage ceremony is a covenant relationship and they go together because of love. They love each other. And so they enter into an agreement. And also, another one would be for protection, safety. A stronger tribe would be approached by a weaker tribe and the weaker tribe would say, we want to be in covenant with you, friends. Why? So that they can ensure themselves of safety, of being protected. That stronger tribe will just wipe that weaker tribe right out like that. But if they are in covenant relationship by blood, they can't. You say, why would the stronger tribe want to do that? Well, the weaker tribe, they may be rich in resources. They may have a little bit of money or oil or whatever. So the stronger tribe, they may have the strength, but this other tribe, they've got a little bit of food that this tribe needs. So they go into an agreement, blood agreement, and of course it ensures their safety, the weaker tribe, and and to the others, it gives them the food that they need to eat. Once this agreement is, you know, ratified and made complete, and it's sure that it's in motion, it cannot be broken or the covenant heads would die. Those that would break that covenant, they would give their life. They would have to die. Now, why then would the Father want to enter into relationship with us, the human race? Well, first of all, He needed a way, an avenue into the earth to destroy the works of the devil, didn't He? He needed some way to get into this earth to destroy Satan. He wanted to do that. That's not the only reason why He came. He came because He loves us and He wanted to save us. And redeem us. So first of all, he offers to man a covenant to ensure trust. All throughout the Bible we read, trust in the Lord. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Trust in the Lord. 
now I know I could trust Him because He has guaranteed His Word with His blood. If that Word fails me, I have God in a lie. He lied. I can trust, trust His Word, can I? Well, number two, He loves me. And He wanted me to be in union with Him, to be born into His family. So by coming into this union agreement, He shows His love for us. We can trust Him. He loves us. How many of you would like to live in this world that you live in right now without any protection from God? Anybody here? I would not want to live in this world without godly protection. Number three is safety and protection. Psalm 91. What he's saying to us, I will be to you a protector, a refuge, a fortress in this earth. Those are the things He's offering to us if we'll enter into this agreement with Him. Now, of course, it stands the reason why we as a human being would want to enter into a relationship with the loving Heavenly Father because look at all these things. First of all, we've got no way to eternal life. But He gives us, in His corporation, if you want to say, a partnership in eternal life. He gives us His love. He gives us His life. He gives us His Word. He gives us every spiritual blessing. Who in the world wouldn't want to enter into the corporation that, that contains all the silver and gold on a and cattle on a thousand hills? I mean, I'd want to do that, wouldn't you? If you're working for anybody, you want to be in business with, with the big one, amen? We're in partnership with the Father. We're about the Father's business. Our Father owns it all. And we should be quick to tell people that we are in, a, in partnership with our Heavenly Father in a blood covenant relationship. Okay, now... If God and man have come to a place of agreement where they are in covenant relationship with one another, then it absolutely means that all of God's life that He has given and all His Word that He has spoken will be backed up by His life. Then what does it mean on the side of the human? What does it mean on my side? Every time I partake of that Lord's Supper, I am reenacting that blood, the death of the Lord, which is symbolic of the blood covenant union and relationship. If He is required to give His life, I was required to give my life to Him to be in covenant with Him to receive his life, wasn't I? Now listen to me. I believe in dedication. I believe in consecration. But I believe this. If people would know that when they entered into covenant relationship with God, that their life is no longer their, their life. They entered into blood covenant partnership and relationship with the Father and you are already His property, spirit, soul, and body. We are required to keep the covenant and walk in light of the covenant no matter what. Every time we walk our own way, we are covenant breakers. Every time we turn our back, and I'm going to tell you something, I thank God for this provision inside this covenant, this contract. 
if you, conf- if you sin, if you confess your sin, He's faithful and just to forgive you your sin. And here, there's a clause inside our covenant that says if we confess our sins, we'll be forgiven. Doesn't it say that? Now, you think about this. If that clause was not put in there and we turned our backs on God, that would be it. But you see how He defined this promise in a way that we can maintain relationship even though we walk out of fellowship? Now, how many of you believe that when you got saved, you consecrated your life to God? How many of you had heard teaching that you've got to keep on consecrating and dedicating and consecrating and dedicating? Listen, really, it's, it's, it's not true. You are consecrated, whether you know it or not. You are not your own, whether you know it or not. You've been bought with a price. Whether you know it or not, you are in blood covenant with the Father. (coughs) Think about this. If I walk out from that, and I'm not about to, beloved, and this is where this eternal security comes in. I don't believe a word of it. I walk out from beneath that covenant and turn my back on that covenant. It's my life. Spiritual death. I'm not walking out of this covenant. I've been bought with the blood of Jesus. I am responsible for this covenant. I am responsible to walk in the light of it. Aren't you glad that he says, My commandments are not grievous? Come unto me, my yoke is easy and the burden is light. That doesn't sound hard to me. I'm responsible to walk in the light of this covenant. If not, I lied. Because when I came to Christ, didn't I give him my all? How many of you gave him your all? This business about, well, he's not Lord of all yet. Well, listen to me. I don't know whether you made him Lord of all yet or not, but if you made him your Savior, you made him Lord of all. I'll say it again. If you made Jesus your Savior, you made him Lord of all. That's it, friends. You are in this covenant. You signed the contract. Boy, don't you wish you could have got out of that house agreement and not lose your house? Sure you do. Either pay the money or get out of the agreement somehow. Wouldn't that be nice? But you think about this. You entered into a covenant that has been sealed by blood. When you entered into that covenant, there was a blood transfusion that took place. Your blood is no longer there. It's His blood that's in me, cleansing me. My life now is His. The life I'm living in the flesh is not mine. I am sold out to God, spirit, soul, and body. That's all there is to it. There's no making me that way. I am. I have to be. In other words, whether you know it or not, you are. Sold out to God. Now, it's our responsibility to walk in the light of it. That's why I said we need teachers to reveal to us these truths of the, of the, of the covenant and teach us how we can walk in them, how to walk in the light of them. There are benefits and blessings and promises. But I'm not, we cannot try to be more consecrated to God. You can't get any more consecrated to God than you are. You are no longer your property. You are His. And it's in the blood covenant agreement. That's what happened when you made Him your Savior. Now you see who's responsible to keep it? Me. I walk in light of it. I'm, I'm His. Now do you see why when you have an affair with the world, you're an adulterer, the Bible says, an adulteress because you're in the world, living in the world? You're a covenant breaker is what he's saying. I don't ever want to be tagged as a covenant breaker, do you? 
No, you see, we don't belong out there. We don't belong outside of the covenant. Now, these legal rights that we have, let, let me say it a better way, okay? A better way. We're going to close. We only got a few minutes. A better way to say it's like this. You don't have a legal right to step out of that covenant. You don't have a legal right to miss one payment. Not a legal right. If you miss any, it's because of grace. They give you that grace. And thank God we live under grace. But as a child of God in the covenant, I don't have a legal right to step out of the light of that covenant. That's how strict this covenant is. That's how powerful it is in the life of the believer. God can't die, and neither can Jesus. And since I've given my life to Him, I have taken on upon myself eternal life. Now, I am the walk in the light of life. I am not to walk out of that light. I can if I want to, but I don't have a legal right to. There's not one legal right. And anybody that breaks that covenant, God, listen to me, God has a legal right to cut them off. I said anybody that breaks that covenant willingly and, and willingly turns their back on it and wants no part of it anymore, God has a legal right to cut them off. A covenant breaker. As a covenant head representative, I told you that my wife would have to turn me over to die. The Father has every legal right then, you see, to cut any... Well, didn't Jesus say in John 15 that if we don't abide in the vine, then we're cut off as a branch and cast out to be burned in the fire? See? So we'll say it like this. We don't have a legal right to walk out of the light of the covenant. Now, you can do it if you want to, but you don't have a legal right to do it. Now, we're talking legal talk, and it's very important that we understand that this is a legal contract. It does not take away from the sovereignty of God, but a sovereign God wrote the contract, meaning He knows what's in it. He said He would do it. He stands behind it. And if one scripture fails, it's His life. Now, that's awesome. Let's all stand before the Lord. That is awesome. <clears throat> as far as I'm concerned, to me, that's awesome. Now, this is only the introduction. This is only the introduction to this most important series on the blood covenant. Thank you for listening to our legacy teachings. We pray today's message has a profound impact upon your life and your ministry. I want you to know that God loves you, has a great plan for your life. But if you've never made Jesus Christ Lord and Savior of your life, I'd like to invite you to do that right now. Just pray this simple prayer right after me. Just say, Heavenly Father, I come to you just as I am. And I believe with all my heart that Jesus died for my sins and was raised from the dead for me. I open the door of my heart. I call upon the name of the Lord. Lord Jesus, come into my heart now. I receive you and accept you as my personal Savior and Lord. If you prayed that prayer with me, you're a child of God right now, and I encourage you to get into a good Bible-based church where you can learn to grow in your Christian faith and experience. God bless.